Welcome to Unfurling, a podcast exploring the power of the natural world to inform and inspire. And today is our second episode, following our first, which was on joy and wonder. We're jumping straight into the deep end, looking at climate change. And we hope that we will both inform you and inspire you using what nature can teach us and also bringing in some of that joy and wonder that we talked about in our last episode. Yeah, gosh, climate change, it, it does and it can feel like a huge topic. Um, we will we'll name that and, and go into that today. Um, the reason that we're here is that the topic feels a really timely one and we also have a kind of personal connection to the topic in different ways. Um, for me, the fact that I live in a really gorgeous part of the UK. I live in Devon. It's full of greenery and trees, um, rivers, ocean, and I love it and I want to protect it. And I know that for me, that means, you know, protect it from kind of local challenges as well as the big stuff, climate change. I've also seen with my work around the world, the impact that, you know, our actions in one part of the world can have on other parts of the world. I've seen terrible droughts in sub-Saharan Africa. I've seen um, huge electronic waste dumps, um, which is a kind of, you know, it's not climate change, but it's part of that system that is creating a broken climate. And I want to think of new ways to think about climate change um, that, that kind of recognise what's possible and the hope. Yeah, and no, I, I echo that, I, both in terms of that love of nature that I have and, you know, wanting to protect it, therefore, and, and climate change is the big question around that really um and yeah bringing the joy and wonder in because otherwise it's either hugely anxiety inducing or something that you just detach from mm. um for me i guess why it's of interest to me particularly now well first of all it's clearly very important and i think um as i'm a mum you know with a one and three-year-old i'm really conscious about both how I'm so delighted that they're here and able to experience this wonderful world. And there's also a part of me that worries about what that future will look like for them. Um, so I want to, in my own way, help, uh, you know, tackle climate change and to help them have a the better future. For me, I've thought at least the kind of key way for me right now to get involved is through my coaching work and how to help people really explore their relationship with climate change so that they can get into action from whatever place they start. So uh, when we were talking about this topic today um, and actually thinking, kind of reflecting back on our la last episode, we were thinking how might we structure this episode mm. um, in a way that's helpful for us as we try and find a way through it and also helpful for listeners to kind of help navigate and, and think about where we are, where we might be um, and those kind of takeaway things. We sort of came up with a loose structure, which I'll just... Um, kind of draw out a little bit now and then we'll, we'll mm. jump in so we're going to think for a few moments about yeah where we are now what is the reality and then from there where could we be what is our vision where do we want to be as individuals as a collective as a planet and then we're going to move into um, some of the things we might do um, in response to to this topic so as individuals and, and thinking about our mindset, what's possible as leaders and organizations, what principles might we draw on that we mm. can 
use to move into the future um, and really show that leadership, which feels like it's lacking a bit in some places in the world now. And then following on from that, what are, what are some of the things we can do right now as listeners to this podcast for you and me, Kat? What are some of the kind of takeaways? So what can we go away and do after we think about this? What new mindsets and ways of being might we want to think about? Um, and then we'll bring it to a close. And I guess partly that reflects the fact that we do bring in a coaching approach to some of these episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, So some of you might be familiar with that structure as one that mirrors coaching models. Yeah, we think it might be a helpful one for this topic. And also just to say, we are very much seeing this as part one of a conversation on climate change. There's loads of material we could have brought in. So what we thought we would do is see this as kind of climate change part one, um, and then we'll revisit the topic, you know, in a few weeks, few months, whenever, down the line, recognising that actually it's moving quite quickly. Yeah, and I, I think it's uh, important also just to emphasise that we're not climate change experts. Mm. Um, yesterday I was doing some kind of research and thinking around this podcast today, and honestly I kind of got a bit like, oh, imposter syndrome about it. Mm. I was like, well, who am I to be? talking about climate change like I'm not a scientist I'm not a policymaker. who am I to talk about this and in a way I think that's the point we are all needed in our different ways to get involved otherwise <laughs> we just nothing will happen so yeah I'll, I'll, sh- I'll start by sharing some, some perhaps some facts and some quotes just to kind of set the scene of where we are I'll preface it by saying I was at a, a talk earlier this year about this actually by a really expert um, scientist and I'm conscious that giving all these facts is important and we can't shy away from it and it's important that we get you know anxious and angry about it and yet there's something in me that feels that can be limiting. I came away from that talk with a headache and I persisted for three (laughs) whole days and I don't normally get headaches and so obviously there's something in me really triggered and yet there's balancing with that with how useful is that for me to be triggered for three days? You know, what can I actually do knowing that knowledge is is really where I kind of think it's important to get to. Nonetheless, I'm sorry if I induce any headaches. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll I'll give you a few facts and quotes and then we can take it from here. So Elizabeth and I, and I'm sure many of you listening are big fans of Sir David Attenborough. And he he said, you know, we are facing a man-made disaster on a global scale, our greatest threat in thousands of years warming of our climate system is unequivocal, according to the IPCC fifth assessment report. And the IPCC, for those of you who don't know, is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and produced some really good reports around this topic. In just 100 years, you know, fossil fuel use has more than undone 5,000 years of natural cooling. And it's hotter now than at any time in the history of human civilization, which is scary stuff. Um, and it's extreme weather. And weather anomalies and oh that's a difficult world and weather anomalies mm-hmm. <laughs> most recently in Siberia you know with the burning of land that's normally frozen over for us here in Europe um, we saw the warmest year on record in 2018 and the second warmest in 2019 these records are looking like they'll be broken in a few years it's a heavy place to be rising sea levels you know ocean life deforestation, you know, how we're using our land, soil fertility, wildlife, our own health and social financial stability, as well as many more things. Yeah, Elizabeth, do you want to perhaps dive in a little bit more about the temperatures? Yeah. 
and and some of you may be aware of these numbers but just to kind of underline them again as a kind of baseline for where we're starting so we know the planet's warmed by nearly one degree celsius in the past century and it will keep on going if we if we continue the way you know if we continue down the path we're on um we know now that to prevent the worst effects of climate change there is a global agreement that temperature rises need to be kept below two degrees c from the pre-industrial era but but with an ambition to actually keep it below 1.5 degrees currently assessments suggest we are on course for temperature rises that could go as high as four degrees celsius or even higher Mm. um, which is you know that's double what the current agreement is and a few other facts that kind of connect to that Um, so 16 of a lot of the 17 warmest years on record have occurred since 2001 the current levels of atmospheric um, greenhouse gases are unprecedented in the last 800,000 years. And some some scientists and others are, are referring to this new period on the Earth as the Anthropocene, i.e. human activity is having such an impact on the Earth um, that we'll be able to see that in, in climate records and geological records. For those who are kind of interested in some more hard-hitting facts because we're not going to spend too much longer on those here there is um a book that i really recommend by um david wallace wells that came out a couple of years ago i think called the uninhabitable earth um and just to kind of prepare you for that some of his uh chapter titles are things like heat death dying oceans economic collapse unbreathable air drowning so it's not it's not light reading uh, I wouldn't suggest it as a holiday book unless that's your thing. Um, and and a, a pulling a couple of quotes from that, he talks about how um, every year the average American emits enough carbon to melt 10,000 tonnes of ice in the Antarctic sheets. And in the last 40 years, according to the World Wildlife Fund, more than half of the world's vertebrate animals have died. So that's a really good book for mm-hmm. those of you that want to kind of get a real thorough grounding yeah, and I think, you know, people are starting to wake up. There's still a huge way to go, I think, and I include myself in, in that journey. But it's interesting that people are speaking up about it, you know, ranging from, uh, I've got Professor James Hansen, who's the former director of the NASA Goddard Institute for Space Studies, you know, saying we are in a planetary emergency. So looking from that space perspective, mm-hmm. through to Rowan Williams, who is the former Archbishop of Canterbury, you know, saying that the future of the human race is now at stake. So leaders are are stepping up and I, it's almost like, so what do we need to be doing? You know, as actually it's not just the leaders that have to step up, it's it's us. Yeah. And then that makes me, it makes me think of a couple of things, actually. The first is a quote by the author Richard Powers, and he says um, in his book, The Overstory, which I might reference mm. again. And in fact, I think I referenced in the last yeah, episode. Yeah. It sounds like I'm... <laughs> on commission or something I'm not I just love the book um he said at one point in the book he says the best arguments in the world won't change a person's mind the only thing that can do that is a good story Mm. and I really love that and I think I really believe that actually Mm. um I touching on what you said earlier Kat that kind of overwhelm and the headache you got I've definitely experienced similar things and I feel like we can't turn away from these facts they are there they are mm-hmm. happening right now um we need to ground ourselves in them and be familiar with them and yet 
maybe also we can become saturated by them or even numb to them. So how do we think about going back to that Richard Powers quote, how do we think about what could a new story look like? How do we tell a good story? That obviously is about, you know, literally stories, creativity, imagination, which we might touch on again, Mm. Um, but also vision, collective vision. What is the story of the future that we want to be reading? Mm. Um, Mm. And we thought we might just speak a bit about that because we can, yeah, we can say, well, you know, the goal is to keep warming below 1.5 degrees, which is great. That's fact. We need to do that. But it, well, for me, certainly it doesn't tap into that story and where could we be? Where is the vision? Yeah, for me hearing you speak, Elizabeth, it's more for me, you know, the 1.5 goal, you know, is really about surviving, you know, so surviving as a human race. And yet that in itself isn't hugely motivating. You know, it's a, <laughs> it's yeah. it's kind of how do we thrive and how does the world around us thrive? How do the animals thrive and the land we use and the oceans? And that makes me think, actually, and I know we've talked about it before, it makes me think about coronavirus and lockdown Mm. um, and what are we learning from the situation we have been in and and are still in and probably will be in for some time. You know, we've seen we've seen nature really bounce back. Birdsong has got louder. And on a local level, I think I'm right in saying that during lockdown, so in Devon, uh, carbon emissions dropped 23 percent. And that was primarily because of people not moving around, not not in cars and things. And that particulate matter in the air decreased by 50%. Mm. Um, so the air has got cleaner. It's, it's just a glimpse of the kind of, the, you know, what we can create if we're intentional about that. I think on the flip side, um, some of these kind of byproducts of lockdown have been wonderful, but they're not sustainable. You know, we can't say to everyone, you just have to stay in your house forever. That's how we're going to um, tackle climate change. It's how do we take what we've learned in the last few months Mm. and then create a future around it. That touches on things like the green recovery and building back better. These are kind of a couple of conversations going on, certainly in the UK and I know in other countries as well. How do we recover from coronavirus economically and with our health and, and everything? But how do we do that in a way where we are also creating a healthy environment? So how can we be investing in good economic choices that, also improve nature that also improve our health that also increase inclusivity and and justice these are choices we have right now and I think reflecting on some of those learnings from lockdown could really help Mm. us make good choices yeah and I guess we've got different experiences with lockdown you know you being more in the Mm. countryside and me being in pretty central London yeah apparently it was very similar reportings here that both fine particle and NO2 pollution fell by up to half in cities as well. Mm, So not just where you are and that it led to traffic falling to 1955 levels. You know, I walk around, I've always said the thing that will drive me out of London is the air pollution. It has got a bit worse since lockdown has started easing, but it still feels and, you know, tastes better. Like I can see things literally more clearly and we have butterflies here, which we don't normally have. Mm. Um, and yeah, the bird song, you can hear that more. And I know, you, and actually they've been recorded as being stronger because of the, the lack of traffic and flights as well for us particularly. And it just feels like we talk about, you know, in our episodes, what nature or the natural world, how it can inform and inspire us. And it feels like this period has been very much nature saying to us. I remember seeing a, a meme on Facebook, it was something like, 
go to your bedroom and think about what you've done in terms of coronavirus yeah. you know and, yeah. and I think there's something to that the fact that it looks like it started in the wet markets in, in Wuhan in China what's that about the way we treat animals there's mm. there's a lot of learning here and I guess it's yeah taking that learning and and not just forgetting about it not just getting straight back into how things were so we want to kind of move into thinking about some of the options that might be in front of us so whether we're individuals whether we're leaders whether we're kind of working mm. as a as a country or a community where might we look to and honestly here there are so many things we could have included and that's the wonderful thing right there's so much hope out there there is and that's not wishing to kind of sugarcoat any of this or rose tint it um but there really is hope out there firstly i wanted to kind of touch on um a book actually which I guess triggered a lot of my thinking some time ago um, and then from there um, share a few thoughts. So there's a book called Silent Spring by mm -hmm. Rachel Carson um, written in the early 60s and she is a she was a biologist uh, and a writer. This book it's a, it's the it's the most uh, powerful two pages I think that a, that a book a non-fiction book has ever had in, in my mind. And she paints this picture in the first couple of pages, bird life just dropping and, and farms failing and verges withered and um, ravaged by fire and um, a blight creeping over everything. And she, she says, um, no witchcraft, no enemy action had silenced the rebirth of new life in the stricken world. The people had done it themselves. But then she goes on in the next chapter. She opens by saying, the history of life on earth has been a history of interaction between living things and their surroundings. And really then for me, that set the tone of the book that we are not the only ones on this planet, that actually everything's connected. We must understand there are certain conditions which need to be in place for us all to thrive, as you touched on earlier, Kat. So that book, what it also triggered in me, and this has been then deepened by reading other things, is the sense that, and again, picking up on the theme of the podcast, is that actually the natural world already has loads of solutions to some of the challenges we're facing. So what I wanted to do from just briefly, really just sharing a few headlines, I wanted to look at a few principles that leaders and actually all of us uh, in whatever context we're in might draw on if we are to tackle climate change. Um, I guess the kind of underpinning um, idea to a lot of these is that in the same way that coronavirus saw no boundaries and borders, neither does climate change. And therefore, political and economic systems and strategies are never going to trump the laws of the planet. Um, the earth and, and living things follow biology and chemistry and physics and other natural processes. The planet doesn't care if something isn't economically viable. It will do what it does and it will respond to what we're doing. So there's that sense of, actually, we do need to learn how to work across, across borders, across boundaries, Across relationships, working with people who are not like us, mm. uh, I think nature can teach us that very well. And then that actually goes into the second principle that I wanted to share, which is um, that nature creates strength and resilience through biodiversity. And actually, if we are to improve our ability to work cross boundary, we also need to improve our ability to work with people and ideas that are not like us. We need to increase our own biodiversity so in the same way that if you have a monoculture farm um, 
it it the, the kind of health of the soil will be far less than the, the health of a farm that is planted with lots of different crops. Similarly with coronavirus, actually the supply chains that um, were most resilient to some of the challenges there were supply chains that were really supply networks and, and drew, drew on local skills and local supply networks rather than kind of those individual chains that when they're broken, they're broken. So how can we as leaders and communities, how do we increase diversity um, through looking at biodiversity? How do we increase the benefits from drawing on a wide range of skills and ways of being? Um, and then a third principle is, I guess, thinking about the fact that the sun powers everything. The earth is powered by renewable energy. Um, nothing would exist on earth if it were not for the sun. How do we, you know, we talk about decreasing the use of fossil fuels. Um, and really one of, the, one of the big pieces there will be that we need to completely eliminate the use of fossil fuels in providing energy at the minute whether it's you know fuel in our cars or gas at home whatever we rely on fossil fuels how do we move to a place where we can mirror the earth and be run completely on renewable energy how do we use the sun in the same way that a forest uses the sun or the ocean uses the sun connected to that um, principle so in nature waste is produced not very much there's not much waste in nature and where there is waste it's kind of recycled the earth runs using a circular economy it's, it's not linear it, it goes around in a cycle so how you know we talk about creating a circular economy you know a literal economy how do we look to what the earth is doing and the kind of feedback loops and the and the the circular um, recycling of nutrients and recycling of waste. How can we learn from this and actually redesign economic systems, our, you know, other systems so that nothing gets wasted? That will, of course, impact kind of consumer behavior and so on, but the, the planet does it well. And I think there are lots of lessons there. A fifth principle, I guess, is that of systems thinking. So the earth is complex, how can we look to forests, for example, when we think about systems? So in forests, when a tree is in distress or is struggling or needing nutrients, it puts out signals through the roots and through the air and other trees respond. So you're never really looking at an individual tree. You're looking at a system of beings, a community, really. So some great examples out there of how do we think like a system and see all parts that are moving rather than just see ourselves as individuals? And yeah, so I guess there's a few key things. One of the one of the ways we might talk about some of that is through the lens of biomimicry. So the idea that we can mirror processes and things going on in the natural world um, and harness that for our own learning and benefit. And this kind of this way of thinking then can touch on things like regenerative agriculture rewilding community resilience there's lots of kind of schools of thought that draw on those systems thinking um, principles yeah and, and again just a broad thought connected to biomimicry you know what does symbiosis look like it goes back to that kind of diversity piece how do we um, create relationships between things so that we are more than the sum of our parts how do we work together I mean, what I what I love hearing in that, Elizabeth, is, um, you know, that we don't it's we don't have to invent all of this. And the sun is already doing its work. The planet is already doing its work. 
I jotted down a, a slightly related quote by Greta Thunberg saying, the climate crisis has already been solved. We already have all the facts and solutions. All yeah. we have to do is wake up and change. Mm. And, you know, when we feel like we have to do it all and we have to invent it all ourselves, it can feel impossible or too much. Um, but actually that kind of mindset that actually a lot of this is already in motion and, and, and works, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's actually very inspiring and encouraging. And it's, I, for me, it's like how do we bring some of that into the view more, you know, that the sun is already powering us in a way it's almost quite simple it really is and and sometimes that's the thing isn't it it's the Mm. simplest things it's how do we use the how do we look at the world through the eyes of a child where Mm. things are simpler and actually there's something about yeah embracing those new eyes embracing quite childlike ways of seeing the world Mm. Um, and how as leaders do we you know come into that and 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 maybe give up the idea that it's down to kind of individual heroic leaders but actually Mm. how can those leaders facilitate yeah collective action using the principles that nature teaches us so and I know in a future episode we might explore leadership um, more specifically but I think there's a lot of lessons as you say that are are already out there in the world. It actually reminds me of a a study I read about yesterday um, by Israeli researchers um, about ants and Mm. how they work together in terms of teams Mm. and they can um, organize kind of really intricate formations under the supervision of leaders to Mm. carry heavy objects Um, and so they'll come together and they'll do that but sometimes you know when the object's really heavy the leaders will get involved and then it can all go a bit (laughs) skew with but then another ant might not be a a natural leader will come out and can help kind of reform that kind of lost coordination and reassert control of the group so actually there's something for me that that feels important here that you know we can all get involved and have leaders that can facilitate us and you know they can get involved and we can come out and help lead you know really it's about teamwork yeah absolutely that there's a quote uh, it's um I don't have it in front of me but it's something about how the best leaders um will make the kind of people that they are leading say we did it ourselves mm. you know so how that kind of leader stepping aside and really enabling the community and the collective action i think taking that thinking a bit further then um you know what can we do as individuals one of the things that uh, both you and i elizabeth have been i guess spending some of our time this year doing is um learning about climate change coaching and I remember when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, no, I can't do that. I'm not a climate expert. I need to be a scientist doing to do that. And I signed up anyway. And it was a three month kind of coaching circle with an organization called Climate Change Coaches, which was founded by a very inspiring woman called Charlie Cox. Mm. And, and you did, I think, the, the one after me, Elizabeth. So yeah. we've, both, we've both done that. What I've really enjoyed from that was looking at our relationship with climate change, what it brings up in us. Some of the the kind of key points that we looked at were um, that's that feeling of overwhelm, um, and by contrast, a feeling of scarcity. There's not enough time. There's not enough resource. There's not enough experts, people doing the work. Um, through to anger, anger at people doing this to the world, you know, about others, anger at oneself for not doing enough, and grief. We are losing some of our biodiversity, we are losing some of our wildlife, you know, our forests already. And that there's anticipated grief, actually, 
for more loss. And within that, there was something I think both you and I felt that was important to bring in as well was that idea of joy within this and connecting with the joy that we do feel about being alive and that we do feel about having families and friends and the natural world or for whatever, whatever is motivating for people and to bring that in as well. And we did, we kind of beta tested some workshops uh, for climate change coaches at the beginning of the year. And, you know, we'll be doing more of this ourselves going forward looking how do you help people move from that place of feeling anxious or unable to take action or overwhelmed through to a place of agency, you know, where you can make one step forward um, to help tackle climate change. And in a way, it's kind of moving from what in coaching we call um, saboteur language. So um, limiting beliefs that kind of sabotage our growth or our action. You know, so for me, even yesterday, I was, you know, having saboteur thoughts of who am I to to be delivering this? How am I going to get all that we need to say into 45 minutes? (laughs) Um, It's not going to work. It's not enough. Neuroscience can be really helpful, actually, here um, to help us understand why we find it so difficult to take action on climate change, despite the warnings we have, despite those figures we quoted at the beginning of the show. Um, despite the daily news reports. There's a a neuroscientist called Tali Shiro who says that when the brain kind of senses a threat, the brain, first of all, tries to eliminate any perceived danger through rationalisation, you know, making up excuses or just kind of ignoring what's going on, sticking our heads in the sand, pretending it's not here. And that really for people to act... We need to be not just aware of this threat, but also to be emotionally engaged with it. You know, so it's not just about the intellectual understanding of climate change and the figures and what might happen and the projections. When we have a sense of agency, we're more likely to act because it lights up the reward center in our brain. You know, we're learning that highlighting the reward rather than the threat is actually the more efficient way of getting people to act. Um, I've really got into the idea of the butterfly effect recently, you know, which is part of chaos theory. And um, it's been said that something as small as the flutter of a butterfly's wing can ultimately cause a typhoon halfway around the world. I love that because, A, because there are butterflies in London, so it feels (laughs) very apt. Um, And perhaps it's a prompt, you know, for me and other people Mm. um, that it's us, if we all take small action, and ideally in time, bigger action. But, you know, if we all start making some sort of change, then that's how we're going to really affect change when it comes to climate change. You know, we can't rely on governments to do this alone. We can't rely on businesses to do this alone. I think that concept of personal agency is really important. And for me, that obviously then kind of think, makes me think about what does that look like? What is a good first step Um what are choices that we can be making as individuals and in our communities and beyond? And I think, you know, whether that's looking at um, really practical things like what what diets are we choosing to eat? Um, how are we traveling um, locally, nationally, abroad to, to really sort of potentially quite dry things, but actually, again, with a new story could be reframed. So where is our money? How are we investing? Mm. Where are our pensions? Mm. Um, these are huge these things have huge impacts on, um, you know, directly and indirectly on carbon emissions and, and, and also justice, um, inclusivity. 
so there's a few but you know what and it, what where are we getting our energy from um there's lots of really practical first steps that people might choose to go away and have a think what does that look like in their own lives how can we um you know make different choices how how can we get better informed about the impacts of where our money is being invested and then it also makes me think of the importance of really engaging with local place um for me that's mm. really important i i don't know who said it but i love this idea of rather than being famous for 15 minutes what about if we if we were famous for 15 miles so how can we role model in our place how can we challenge poor decision making in our place how can we tell new stories in our place um i've mentioned before the fact that i'm an elected district councillor and i for me that's been a real kind of an opportunity to explore some of this stuff you know rather than just being theoretical and sitting behind a computer screen and kind of um sh- sharing thoughts it, it it's forced me to roll up my sleeves and go and have difficult conversations and go and learn you know recently i was walking around a farm with a farmer wanting to learn about you know what can nature friendly farming look like and how can we maybe role model that in our district mm-hmm. um and i can tell you that the power of people to to make a change locally through local decision makers and local policy makers is huge you know i've engaged with petitions and and protests connected to the the youth friday for futures movement um i've heard thoughts of local residents i've invited conversations whereby the council just learns from residents from experts from mm. communities from farmers and others what can we do to love and support and create a sustainable future for this place and for me again going back to those kind of principles of nature if we can perhaps start locally and then kind of ripple that out you know if we can make good decisions locally if we can know our neighbors if we can know how things are influenced locally maybe that's one way into then the the bigger more intimidating platforms of you know mm-hmm. whether it's national government or international whatever the cop 26 is happening it's been postponed it'll be next year this is the uh, kind of conference of parties looking on climate change um that was due to be in glasgow this year how can we engage with those processes for me doing that locally has given me a much clearer sense of what that could look like beyond mm-hmm. and and again yeah the power of place and the importance of voice and that the decisions we that we make and the the action that we demand it really does get heard um there's something about persistence nature is all, also persistent i think there is um some lessons there in what good uh, perseverance looks like it, it kind of reminds me of of what's been going on with younger people too mm. um in the last few years you know that that idea of voice and mm. persistence um obviously the the kind of uh most publicized one is you know Greta Thunberg and the you know her striking on Fridays you know and how that's created a whole movement and i took my my two little boys along to one of the uk student climate network um strikes uh, i think it was september last year and it was incredibly inspiring watching children and teenagers mm. you know raise their voices um and then create a platform mm. for for what they they want for their future and uh, Elizabeth you and I met or not but met virtually uh, a lady called uh Ava Hogan mm. and her right-hand woman um Juliet Brooks mm. who you know together they've created um an organization called Force of Nature 
which is really looking to work with young people, you know, to realise their potential, you know, for taking on what's a really messy situation in mm. many ways for the planet. Mm. Um, and they you know, provide thought leadership and accelerated programmes, strategic consulting. And I say this with huge admiration because Clover is only 21, you know, and she, you know, when we think about what she's already put out into the world mm. and she's got a, a great podcast. If you're you know, interested in learning more through podcasts about climate change, she's interviewed some fantastic people um, through her podcast, Force of Nature. So do check that out as well. But um, yeah, that idea of voice feels really important. And now there's a, a real option through podcasts, through YouTube, through whatever, you know, that we can get our voices out more than perhaps we could 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. And then also recognising that there are different platforms for voice too, like going mm. back to what you were talking about with that imposter syndrome almost coming into this topic. There is all, I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes feel a sense of, oh gosh, you know, look at all these great people doing amazing things on podcasts mm. and <laughs> TV and radio and books. And, you know, a podcast is just one platform of YouTube is just one platform that going back to that idea of agency and, and taking mm. a, a one step it's where do you feel and what's the question I guess it's um, what platform best enables your voice um, because we need all voices now um, and all stories um, mm. which then makes me think of there's a quote that I think I mentioned earlier but I did mention Richard Powers in the overstory and I will mention it again. Feels like a real go-to for me at the moment. He talks about how when it comes to contemplating real world warming dangers, we suffer from an incredible failure of imagination. And I love that because for me, imagination, well, firstly, it's a it's something I learn from nature every day. Um, nature is, is imagination in some ways. Um, it's found very creative solutions to all kinds of things. It's faced in the last however many billion years of its history it also make you know imagination makes me think of storytelling and of and of children and and, and the ability of children and young people to create new stories um, mm. so that's another thing I find really inspiring with a lot of the kind of youth movements at the moment is they are brave enough to to demand and even to write a new story and I think that's important and again going back to the overstory there is this kind of theme that runs through the novel of change and um he quotes Ovid a line from metamorphosis at one point and and kind of echoes it again and again the line is let me sing to you now of how people change into other things you know humans we we do change and we can change not because sometimes because we want to but but often because we have no other choice. And I think for me, there's something about imagination and story that will, that will be essential if we are saying, what does a new world look like and how do we change as individuals and as countries and as um, a world? Um, so yeah, that youth, that movement, that storytelling imagination, it's, it's really vital right now. Mm. You know, as we look, you know, with all these episodes, we're thinking about, you know, what do people want to take away? Mm. You know, what do they want to reflect on or perhaps, you know, take action on? Mm. And yeah, I guess it's kind of considering, you know, what's what's the first chapter of your story around around climate change and how you interact with it. And I was thinking as you're talking about the platform, you're right, it doesn't have to be 
out there and loud necessarily. It could be having a conversation with your partner mm. or your parents. Mm-hmm. You know, um, again, every small um, action, you know, helps. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's a, yeah, our invitation is to consider, you know, what first step you want to take. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, start where you are. I think that feels mm. really important. Um, and, and I guess the danger of looking to other people is you end up comparing yourself, which whether mm. that touches on imposter syndrome or, um, or it can just be just really disempowering, can't it? So mm. who are you? Where are you now? And how can you take one step from there? That feels really important. And in fact, I suppose that's been really important for us. You know, we came mm. up with this podcast as, <laughs> as, as an experiment, as we said before, mm. it's an experiment, but it felt like a step we could take to, to do that kind of dot joining pollination synthesis that we've talked about. Um, I think we talked a bit more in our bonus episode about that. Yeah. So rather for us, rather than getting stuck in thinking about what we were trying to create work-wise mm. and getting stuck in business plans and mm. strategy papers and Goodness, yeah. long writing, because we both write far I'm too like, long, <laughs> you know, it's a hack. So it's mm. like, yeah, what hack can you you take you mm. know, so that yeah you kind of look back you know with pride that you you tried you know and, and took some action mm. um and I and I think another point to mention is that's great and we can come away with you know individual ideas that motivate us or feel possible in a bit of a stretch and yet it, you know it's easy to forget this stuff mm. you know so one thing that we feel is important is having community around us to help us go in there and 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 take that action and question things and and admit when we we're scared or we don't know the answers and um we have created um a facebook group called unfurling podcast we've got our kind of uh foundational members <laughs> already in there and yeah really see that as as one platform in which you know very welcome to join um and to see what other people are are contemplating and getting involved with and to have some accountability and to have some encouragement Mm. um, and motivation so you know do join that yeah and we'll we'll be hanging out there fairly regularly as well um Mm. learning um yeah absolutely trying to answer questions offering thoughts and ideas and choosing those first steps what can we do from where we are um finding that community so joining the facebook group and um, engaging with communities maybe where you are physically as well mm. in your place finding out who's doing what um, and then perhaps also as another um, takeaway just underlining those kind of principles of nature um, maybe mm. reflecting and exploring those a bit more and we'll include some links in the show notes but w- how has nature already solved challenges and what can we learn from this and what can we apply in our own lives and as leaders and collectively so exploring that also because it's just fascinating it's um you know nature tells its own story on some of this stuff and I've learned Mm. loads so um yeah I just really encourage you to explore some of that and explore what biomimicry might look like for you as you think about those principles and and try and live them out and so for me this also just feels a really um special time to be contemplating this work to be getting involved um after our real-time experiment with with lockdown and and showing the positives that can come out of what's been a very difficult time for many um in terms of people's in, you know connection with nature with nature returning to the cities mm. uh with you know air pollution dropping it kind of gives hope and yet i think it's important you know to emphasize that we can't therefore be complacent it has you know it's, it may well be temporary 
And I, I like the quote by Andy Warhol, who says, they always say time changes things, but you actually have to change them yourself. Mm. And I think it's just important to take the hope that we invite here and the joy and the wonder. And also it's for us all to take some responsibility here as well. And I, so I guess as we kind of draw to a close, we did say at the beginning that this was part one around climate change. We may well revisit this in the coming months. There's just so much to say. Things are changing quickly. Um, yeah, we look forward to, to kind of revisiting some of this work. Yeah, and I, just because I like a quote, um, there's a couple here which are kind of indire- indirectly connected to what we've been talking about. I'll just um, end with. Mm. So one is um, a line from a pygmy legend, um, and it just simply says, the man killed the bird and with the bird, the song and with the song himself. Mm. It's quite sad, mm. really, but it's true. It's, you know, we're, we're all interconnected. Uh, but then to end on a kind of more, well, certainly questioning, if not positive note, um, here from the author Maya Angelou, she says, um, it may in fact be necessary to encounter defeats so we know who the hell we are. What can we overcome? What makes us stumble and fall and miraculously rise and go on? Yeah, to end that part one conversation on climate change. Um, yeah, thank you, Kat. It's been good to to chat and to share some ideas. And thank you, listeners. We hope that you've taken something from this conversation. And we're really keen to hear your thoughts, your experiences, your stories as well. So if you're on Facebook, do come and join our group. It's called Unfurling Podcast. And we hope to build a curious community um, and support each other as we walk forward um, and take one step so yeah thank you great so with that elizabeth um thank you and looking forward to the next time we speak me too see you soon see you soon